Alright guys, welcome back. This is Nick. And this is Faye. And this is Kriyag's Over, Over Coffee. Coffee. We are excited today to welcome a special guest, Dr. George Sadi. Dr. Sadi is the uh, Director of Maternal Fetal Medicine and Obstetrics at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston, my medical school alma mater. Thank you, Dr. Sadi, for joining us. Thank you for asking. It's great to be here. All right, Dr. Sadi, so kind of we're here at SMFM, um, and one of the things that we wanted to start out by asking is, what are you most excited for in this year's meeting? Well, you may think that I'm going to pick a study or some presentation or some abstract, but actually what excites me the most at this meeting as well as other meetings is the ability to connect, to meet new people, to see what other people are doing at their centers, and to look at what the SMFM advocacy and health policy uh, work uh, is going. I chair the Health Policy and Advocacy Committee for SMFM, and it's a big part of what I like to do. So it's always good to see how our agenda is progressing at SMFM. So that, that excites me uh, quite a lot. I still like to go and look at abstracts, but you know, all these results, all these studies, ultimately we're gonna find out about them. A lot of them, we already know what they showed already. Uh, so it's really the, the, what goes on around the meeting that, that excites me. Dr. Sadi, can you talk to us a little bit, um, just because we and our listeners want to know as well, a little bit about your background, what got you into OBGYN and ultimately MFM, and potentially a little bit about what you're working on? Sure. I went to medical school at the American University of Beirut. I grew up in Lebanon, and so I went to medical school there. Initially, believe it or not, I wanted to go into psychiatry. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as I did my psychiatry rotation, at the time, psychiatry was not like it, was, like it is now, not much neuroscience, not much neuropharmacology. I was a little discouraged at, at what little impact uh, at the time, and again, those of you who don't know how old I am, I'm talking 40 years ago. So that, that was not really a good time for psychiatry overall. And then I always wanted to go into academic, even I, when, uh, before I went to medical school, I never went to medical school just to see patients. I always wanted to do research, and my background was in engineering before medical school. So so I, I wanted to pursue a, a field where I could have a lot of impact. And OBGYN to me was uh, kind of unique because it combined both medicine and surgery. So I didn't have to choose only medicine or only surgery. Also, I think that women's health is the last frontier in research. So anything else gets a lot more funding, a lot more uh, evidence and research than women's health. So I felt like there is room for me to grow there and, and find other things and pursue uh, my dream of research and academia. I also have to say, having grown up with uh, my mother, two sisters, and now I only I have two daughters, so <laughs> I've been surrounded by women all the time, and I, I like to continue doing that when I'm at work. So that's how it, uh, I ended up in OBGYN. Uh, you asked me about what my area of research now. And to me, one of the most fascinating things in obstetrics is obviously is obstetrics itself and the adverse pregnancy outcomes. But this is short term. 
To me, the most interesting part of obstetrics is the long-term effects of pregnancy on both the mother and the baby, and the child and the adult later. People have termed this pregnancy as a window to future health, and I like to, to use this to remind people that pregnancy is really a window to future health for both the mother and the, the child and later on. Uh, for the child, you look at fetal programming, or people call it developmental programmings, or uh, fetal origins of adult diseases. I like to call it the Barker hypothesis, because David Barker, who popularized that, uh, that field, uh, was a dear friend of mine, passed away unexpectedly. So whatever you call it, there is clear evidence that whatever happens in utero, uh, how the baby develops in utero, programs it for later life and later health. A lot of cardiovascular disease, metabolic diseases, obesity, even asthma, infect, inf inflammatory diseases. Later in life, when, when we're 40 or 50, really we're programmed in utero. So a lot of what we do in pregnancy has an impact lifelong. And for the mother too, we know that pregnancy is, a, you can call it, a screening test or a stress test, uh, and uh, women who develop preeclampsia, preterm birth, fetal growth restriction, or some, uh, they have like a red flag that maybe they were not able to pass that stress test. And I hate, I don't like to call it pass the stress test because it's not a failure on the mother's side. But that actually alerts us that these women are at increased risk of cardiovascular and metabolic diseases late. And that's what I've been focusing on now in animal models and clinical research. Uh, we have a network of uh, uh, longitudinal studies uh, that look at that. Uh, and I think that's the future of obstetrics, is how do we look at pregnancy as a window to future health rather than just limit ourselves to pregnancy, postpartum period, and then we're done. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Sadi, do you see anything in particular as like your most important work so far, your kind of lasting legacy on the field? I mean, you're prolific. You've been in lots of different areas of obstetrics and gynecology so far. Um, I was just wondering like what you feel like is sort of the most important thing, especially for us as residents as we're learning things to keep in mind. Again, like when you asked me the first question, I think you're expecting, to, expecting me to tell you one study. It's actually my most lasting impact, if I want to pick, would be what people I mentored did more than what I did, because I've always uh, said that as, as an individual, you can do so much, but then you can multiply your impact by having more people that you, you touch their careers in a way that allows them to do more. So now you multiplied your impact by X number of times based on how many people you touched. Now, obviously, I mean, I cannot take credit for everything they did, but if I helped a little bit and then they did something, then that to me is, is very, very important. The, the other thing and somewhat related to that that I like as an impact is organizing uh, networks, organizing studies, uh, getting people together to do one common thing. And, and that to me is probably the, another big impact more than something I did myself. So. You know, I run the research division at our at UTMB. I like to work with people. I like to uh, make things where you can 
everybody can use that research division to perform their research and get the outcome. And that's where I see myself more than, you know, the person who did X, Y, and Initially, when I started uh, research as a fellow, I really focused on vascular smooth muscle and endothelial function in vascular smooth muscle. And so that's how I uh, learned how to do research in the lab. And I started that basically to look at the physiologic adaptations to pregnancy, vascular smooth muscle. And I think I did some experiments at the time. This is a long time ago. That shed some light on the importance of the endothelium and the vascular adaptations of pregnancy. Uh, and I think that's probably the, the, the study that started everything, be it the fetal programming, be it then the movement toward the myometrial smooth muscle and preterm labor. So if I want to pick something, my impact, I think it would be more about facilitating things. But if I want to pick a specific study, I would say the study that I did, the first study I did as a fellow which was looking at vascular function and physiology in pregnancy. That's amazing. Um, one question, just because, you know, our yeah. listenership is mostly students, residents, fellows. Uh, Dr. Saudi, do you have any, any advice potentially for people who are going into MFM or going into OBGYN? Um, anything that you think that we should take away from either what you have done or what you've seen other people do? I mean, the advice is the same no matter what field you're going into, right? It's you have to pick a cause. You have to pick a cause. Now, maybe two if you're really that good and you can multitask, maybe you pick two causes. But you have to pick a cause. And everything you do has to be really focused towards that cause, toward achieving, you know, what you think is you should be doing in that cause rather than... Uh, you know, defocusing and, and doing so many different things and a little bit of everything, but never completing something and never achieving something. So I think you have to pick a cause. Uh, I gave you the example of pregnancy as a window to future health. And I mean, that's probably my cause. And, and if I want to focus my research, it's going to be focused on this field, be it fetal programming or maternal outcome. But it could be any other cause. If you want to pick preeclampsia, you want to pick preterm labor, maternal mortality, uh, health disparity, pick a cause and focus yourself on that cause. The second thing is, I think it's important to realize that, that the cause and, and the academic career, and I'm talking about academic career because that's what I know. I'm not going to talk about you know, private practice or clinical practice. There are obviously other things you need to do there. But if in an academic career, once you pick the cause, you have to realize that it has to be part of your life. It's not only eight to five or nine to five or eight to six. It's very hard for students and residents to understand that, but you have to also work after hours, on weekends. It becomes like one of your children. You have to also nurture it and take care of it. It becomes part of your life. Uh, and and that's I think how you can succeed. I don't think you can succeed academically by just focusing eight to five, nine to five, or making it as a job or whatever. You cannot. And this the third advice I would say is you have to in order to come up with ideas and come up where to focus and what to do. What's the next experiment? What's the next research project? What's the next health policy? You have to read. Reading is is the 
number one ingredient in academic uh, career. And many people have heard me say that before. I think you have to be disciplined in reading, reading at least two hours a day. You have to put aside two hours. And when I say reading, you know, I also mean you can listen to podcasts like yours. That's, that counts. You could also read, uh, review manuscripts for a journal or review grants. But it's just the fact that you are reading, you, your brain is opening up areas that then you can use later. It may not be apparent to you what you read today, well, how important it is. It may not become apparent until five or six years later. There is a, somebody termed this thing, the adjacent possible. And so if you look at Leonardo da Vinci, for example, he sketched a lot of things that were futuristic, but they never materialized because his adjacent possible did not include combustion engine, didn't include electricity, right? And a lot of what he thought about needed that as, a, as an adjacent possible. So in, in academia, you have to build your adjacent possible. And one way to build it is by reading. Second, you build it by developing skills. So you have to be disciplined about skill development in your residency, but more important, in your fellowship. Residency is very hard time to do this, but in fellowship and later as a faculty, you need to develop skills. And you have to look at what skills you need. For example, in the lab, you need skills to do Western blot or PCR or uh, animal experiments. So you need to learn these skills. In, you need skills in statistics, biostatistic analysis. You need skills maybe in quality improvement uh, uh, skills or epidemiologic uh, analysis or database uh, uh, building. So all of these, you need these skills. And some of these are common to everything that you definitely need to acquire them if you're going into academia. And finally, not finally, the next thing is you have to have a fire in your belly. I mean, if something doesn't excite you, uh, you got to start saying no to it. I know it's hard at the beginning. You cannot say no to if your mentor or your chair or something comes to you and asks you to do a chapter. You may not be able to say no. But, I mean, you need to say, say no, gradually start to say no. Uh, you also need collaboration. You need to build collaborations, build, uh, help people, become useful to others, not just what you are doing, but be useful to others. And then when people see how useful you are to others, they will start giving you things. They will start improving your career too because now you're interacting with them and they're interacting with you. And finally, I think the most important quality is to be humble and uh, you know, down to earth. So, Dr. Saadi, speaking of that, I guess, what keeps you down to earth then? Are there things outside of obstetrics and gynecology? I mean, living in Galveston, maybe you get out on the water, or do something no, like that? No, actually, I have two daughters. One of them is like me. The other one is like my wife. And my wife, my older daughter, love the water, love the beach. My younger daughter and myself love the snow. <laughs> so unfortunately i'm in texas so i didn't do very well in that <laughs> skiing is really one of my favorite uh, activities uh, by far and when i'm on the slope it's uh, alpine skiing and i don't like downhill skiing and when i'm at the on the mountain and i'm skiing it's like i don't have any worry and it's really calming the other thing is that i do is i like opera a lot so 
I try to go to operas every place I am, try to learn new operas, uh, see new operas. And uh, the third thing is I like soccer. So I watch a lot of soccer. Uh, it's, they're all activities that actually let your automatic brain function and take away uh, your uh, uh, you know, active brain, your short-term brain function. It, it kind of rests it, and then your automatic brain function takes over. So that that's that's what I do, and you know I I like uh, to sit around uh, with with friends, colleagues. Every weekend, uh, uh, we go for breakfast with a group of us uh, in Houston. I still live in Houston, even though I work in Galveston, and we just talk and discuss things and whatever else. And these were also good, relaxing times. What has been your favorite opera that you've seen, Dr. Sadi? Oh boy, I like any opera. I mean, I think every opera I've seen I like, but if I have to pick one opera that I like, and sometimes what you like is because when you first saw it, you had some experience with it that you know stuck with you, not because you know music musically it is much better than others. But the one I always remember is Don Giovanni, Mozart's Don Giovanni. I don't know if you've seen it. If you get a chance to see it, go see it. It's a very nice opera. And, uh, you know, it stuck with me because when I first saw it, at the end of the opera, it doesn't matter if I tell you the end of it, it's okay because you'll probably <laughs> read it in the synopsis when you go to the opera. <clears throat> but at the end of the opera, Don Giovanni uh, tempts fate and tempts, uh, you know, f is feeling like uh, he, he's, he can conquer anything, including death. And then he tempts death and tempts, uh, I'm not going to tell you the, the full story. And at the end, uh, death comes and takes him away. Uh, and the, the end is always, when they stage it, there is always fire, like a fire or uh, some recreation of fire on the stage. And Don Giovanni is sucked into the fire of hell and all. And this one really, I don't know, stuck with me a lot. So. I want to pick one opera, it would be Don Giovanni. For a lyrical opera, I like Norma a lot. All right. Um, Dr. Sadi, thank you again for all of your time with us here today. This has been a really exciting chat, and uh, thank you for sharing everything. Well, thank you for asking me, and congratulations on your successful podcast. It's such a great idea to have it. All the best to you. All right, guys. So once again, this is Faye. And this is Nick. And this has been Kriogs Over Coffee. Well, guys, if you like this podcast, please reach out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, and give us a five-star rating. You can also find us on social media at uh, Twitter at Kriogs Over Coffee number one, on our website at www.kriogsovercoffee.com, and uh, on our Facebook at Kriogs Over Coffee. Thank you to all of you who are already Patreon subscribers. If you're not yet a patreon subscriber please check us out at patreon.com slash over coffee you can get a shout out on the show or some cool swag if you have any suggestions for our podcast or anything that you think that we got wrong or you just want to say hi to us you can always email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com 